Last week, uh, I had an encounter with someone who was completely aware of their sin. They were gripped by their own sin and they were trying to escape it. Temptation was round every corner for them and sin was irresistible. It was real and they hated it. As much as they wanted to run away from it, there it was in front of their face, offering them instant satisfaction and release. If there's one thing I think in our world at the moment which is completely on show, it is sin. Personally, we might be too aware of our own weaknesses to it, yet it's far beyond just me. It's in that broken ceasefire in Syria and the blowing up of aid convoys. It's in the hunting to extinction of those elephants for a nice trophy kill. It's in the post-truth era, era of, both, of politics of both here in, uh, uh, in the UK and also in America. It's in those boardrooms where directors are taking pay increases whilst laying off those on zero-hour contracts. It's in all those papers which were released from Panama. It's on every page of gossip of every single newspaper we read. It's in the homelessness which is growing here in Edinburgh. But we also know that sin is much more complicated than that. For years I went to church and heard the words at the heart of our reading today. As a priest, I've read them, it feels like, a million times because at the start of a Church of England communion service, the, reader set, the leader of the service says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Just have a look at verse 8 of your passage. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I used to read those words out and I used to listen to them and I must admit I would stop and reflect and then I would try and list all the sins I'd done during the previous week and I used to hope for a very long silence before we actually came to the confession because it was a long list and then I'd feel depressed about the habitual problem of my sin life and then I'd sit there and think I'm such a bad person and I'd often wonder why on earth does God bother with me and want anything to do with me and yet sin is very much a part of me it's part of what seems to define me, my complete inability to conquer sin. And as I get older, the realisation your sin life doesn't lessen, it becomes more complex. As much as I want to walk in the light, dark shadows threaten to overwhelm me. It seems when it comes to sin, I'm doomed to failure. A few years ago uh, now, I was actually leading an Alpha group and the issue of sin came up in my uh, group and you've just heard my story of how I find it hard to get to grips with the sin which is in me and I thought everyone was like me and was dragged down by their failures or their laziness or their ill-informed intentions or bad decision-making or their determination to mark, uh, make a mark and impress people or from time to time the temptation to manipulate the situation or the ability to take just a little bit too much for myself. However, someone just declared in the group, I don't get this sin thing because sin is completely not a problem for me. It's the bit I don't get about Jesus. Why did he die for my sins? And I must admit, I'd never really met anybody like 
that before. Somebody who simply said, I live a good life and do my best and I'm doing pretty well at it. I don't feel like a sinner or a failure. I don't feel broken. I just feel okay. Life's been good to me. Since then, I've met many people who simply aren't bothered by sin or don't recognise their own sinfulness. Just a few years ago, I was sitting in my office with somebody who just thought they were completely brilliant. They said, God just thinks I'm completely brilliant, so how can I be a sinner? They might see sin sometimes as a weakness, but they would suggest, as with any weakness, you can train it out of yourself. But, and just go and think about uh, something different and you'll and something you're good at. Let's just remove it and push it over there. So how on earth do we square all of this with verse 10 in the passage when John writes, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Sin is a dreadfully complex thing. It is underemphasized, it is overemphasized. It can be seen as the root to hell or a rather endearing character trait. It can be seen as something to be deeply bothered about or something which actually isn't important at all. So having said sin is all apparent in our world at the moment, am I wrong? And is sin taking on a different shape? Maybe as I reflect on these uh, words about sin in this letter of John, I've missed something. Is my view of sin and my downness on my uh, self inadequate? John obviously sees a big issue of sin. It's a big issue of his day. Again, back then, it was either overemphasized or underemphasized. Some people went to elaborate extremes to give up on sin, and others had worked out uh, a way not to be bothered about it. Some made a complex set of rules saying if you sinned in your body, that really wasn't a problem. So you can have sex uh, with anyone you want and be as greedy, etc. as you want. Uh, That wasn't going to affect your soul, was their argument. Because what was important to them was the sins of the heart. If you sinned in your inner life, that really was the problem, the spiritual life. The key thing was to not worry particularly about your outer life. Just work instead on your inner life. And there was some bonkers stuff going around and it really affected John. And he wanted to get things right. For him, as we can see from these verses I've already talked about, sin was a right old problem. So to deny you sinned was inconceivable. He says all have sinned and he says it twice for effect. And he says basically we are idiots if we deny it. And he says that again twice just for effect. Your inner and your outer life matter just as much. Yes, sin is a problem. Yes, the way we behave does matter. Sin stops us being the people God needs us to be. Sin brings in brokenness and distraction and misinformation and misunderstanding and hurt and betrayal and dysfunction and all those things which stop us being the people we could be. Sin destroys relationships and harms hearts. Yet... Sin isn't just about what we do and our bad behaviour. It's not that shopping list which I used to reel off to God. That's far too limited and makes for a narrow and a little view of God, a me, me, me version of God. Yes, I've done some bad things, but sin is much more than doing. Sin is much more than actions and intentions. It was just that we might just be possible to train ourselves out of it. Sin, though, is something we as humans are. 
To be human is to sin. Sin is being, if you like. In other words, it's part of who we are. It's an inescapable part of me. It affects us sometimes in obvious ways, but more often it's much more subtle than that. And this is big, John's big idea here. We're somehow all caught up in this, and we have been for the whole of uh, history, ever since the beginning in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. A condition of being human is having sin. When they became, when Adam and Eve uh, presented us with the first sign of sin, they became aware they'd mucked up and done the opposite of what God asked. And what did they go and do? They went and hid. A sign of sin is we hide from God. It could be intentional or unwitting, but we are hiding. Even we can hide just a part of ourselves. Think, well, I'll just shield that little bit of myself. That is a sign of sin. Somehow we become ashamed and try and vanish from God. We stop thinking about him. We stop praying. We stop bringing him who we are. We make him some like some far-off distant dot on a map. We think a busy life might be the thing which will stop him breaking in. Sometimes we become embarrassed to bring our real lives to God. We deny him our reality, which is exactly what some people John was writing to was trying to do. And for John, this is nonsense behaviour. Our reading starts off with John declaring loud and clearly what he thinks about God. He says, God is light. God shines. He can see. He shines deeply into the darkness. In fact, he makes the darkness vanish. You don't want to play hide and seek with God because he will always win. He'll find you. He might not shout that he's found you, as in the hide-and-seek game, and draw attention to it, but he know, he'll know where you are, and he'll quietly note this until you're ready or until he is. I love the image from Psalm 104, where it says, God wraps himself in light as with a garment. And also the idea uh, in Psalm 4, when it says, Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. God's working among people is constantly described in the Old Testament as the bringing of light that eliminates darkness. So God's light shines into the clouds which threaten to darken our lives and threaten us. God's light pierces our hiding places, those secret places where we're in denial or purposely not declaring the sin which might be dominating us. But also for John, this nonsense behaviour is much deeper too. Because yes, sin is a deep problem and hiding sin from God is stupid. But for him, the issue becomes especially significant because actually Jesus has completely dealt with it. All those songs we've just sung are about Jesus completely dealing with sin. He did it on the cross. Sin doesn't need to be the issue, which we often make it. Sin is the thing which can be and is sorted. The most major, embarrassing, shameful, awful, repugnant, horrible sin is what Jesus is all about. It's the whole point. My sin, our sin, the community sin, the world sin is sorted in Jesus. Individual and corporate sin has its resting place in Jesus 
Our temptation is to hide all this stuff from God. In fact, we've become rather good at it. It's infiltrated church culture to hide our sins and to be dishonest in front of each other about our sins. Instead of declaring our real selves and our real struggles and our real brokenness, we just display to our Christian brothers and sisters a false view of ourselves. We lie and we say, everything is fine. Church leaders are experts at this. No wonder that rarely a week goes by when I don't hear of one of my fellow colleagues, one of my church leaders, outed uh, because they've had an affair or they might have embezzled some money or they might have said something completely inappropriate or they might have visited a completely awful website which the police have taken notice of. Dishonesty has infiltrated church culture. We hide stuff uh, which God forgives us for from each other. And when we do that, we become a false community, a community which lacks integrity, something which John can't stand. The one thing which we are united by is we are all sinners. This means that we too are all united in our complete need of Jesus. Sinfulness in Jesus means forgiveness for life. In other words, we become set free and don't need to be defined by our failures and dark clouds, but by the beautiful light of God. John writes in this passage about Jesus in verse 9. He says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Simply for John, it's about hiding no longer. It's about bringing all the bad stuff in our lives somehow out into the open in front of God. Instead of the negative and difficult impact sin can make for life, we live with the forgiveness and the beautiful life which Jesus offers us all. Jesus encourages us to bring all of our lives, all of what makes me me, my history, my inclinations, my dark side, my regret, my shame, my brokenness, my reality, and my sin. And you know what? God can deal with it. He can deal with the habitual and the terrible one-offs, the failures and the inconvenient, the ongoing and the still working it. And God calls this forgiveness, and that's exactly what Jesus is about. He forgives Forgiveness is what sets us free. It releases light instead of darkness. It's a fantastic and baffling, and it's all completely free. It enables us to move on. It sometimes seems impossibly easy. We sit there and think, how can it be? But sometimes it can also feel so hard to get yourself into a position where you can actually be honest and confess. But the thing is that it is just there, and it is for everyone. The thing that unites us all This thing called sin is sorted in Jesus. It's not about bringing a shopping list of sins to him, but it's about bringing the reality of your life and your situations honestly to him and inviting him to engage in it and walk with you and help you and give you the wisdom to deal with it in the right way. So forgiveness is straightforward and yet so complex. Maybe for some of us here today, now is the time to stop putting off this forgiveness thing and instead start to engage with it, to allow God, if you dare, into your dark side, the part of you which you find so hard to present to the world. John declares here that God is faithful and just, and he will do it. He will 
forgive you. Our sin is, in fact, an invitation to meet with a faithful and just God who completely loves us and wants us to be free. And the freedom of forgiveness can be our reality. No one is beyond this forgiveness at all. I know there'll be some of us sitting here today thinking that maybe we are beyond it. All I can say to you is that is not the Jesus I know. He is faithful and just, and he wants to meet you today with forgiveness. And he's inviting you this morning to reach out to him and receive his blessing upon blessing, his forgiveness upon forgiveness, his love upon love. He would love it if you, in some kind of fumbling way, were able to say sorry to him. It might be painful to do this. It might mean you're going to have a lot of repair work to do in your relationships. It might mean visiting stuff in your history you would rather forget. But you know something, what have you to lose? Forgiveness is the thing which offers the chance of transformation and the certainty of God's mercy and forgiveness and redemption. At the moment in our morning service, we're thinking about worship. And I think a part of worship is actually being completely real in front of God as he is completely real in front of you. A part of worship is knowing exactly who he is as he knows exactly who you are. In fact, I think John, the writer of this letter, if he was here today, he would say in your worship, don't pretend or ignore who you are or what you've done, but instead be real. When we confess, as John suggests in this passage, we become completely real and honest. We say to God, I am open to you completely. I am no longer going to play a game and hide from you. I am now going to be completely honest. We say, dear God, you have me and you have my failures and you have my embarrassments. Dear, dear God, you have my shame and my deepest regret. My dear God, you have my sin. And the thing is that in worship, God completely can deal with that. He longs for reality. He longs for honesty. And he longs for openness. And worship is about bringing the real me to the real God. So confession becomes vital as it allows God to shine his light on us. And let us receive the deep, deep blessings of forgiveness it gives us a hope, and it gives us a future. A couple of weeks ago, I was really fortunate to hear uh, a woman called Nadia Boltz-Weber, who is a pastor from America, and this was at St. John's on Princess Street, and she's a Lutheran, and she is completely real in the way she communicates herself and God. And she ended what was a remarkable evening with a benediction, which I want to end this morning's uh, talk with. For me, this benediction is about bringing the reality of who we are to God. Just, I think, as John would encourage this morning. But for me, it's about when we are real in just the normal, everyday things of life, with all its ins and outs, that's when we really discover God's blessing and therefore his forgiveness and hope. This forgiveness and hope which is hovering in this place this morning and yours to receive. It's called Blessed Are They, and it's Nadia Boltz Weber. Blessed are the agnostics. Blessed are they who doubt, those who aren't sure, who can still be surprised. Blessed 
are they who are spiritually impoverished and therefore not so certain about everything that they no longer take in new information. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer. Blessed are the preschoolers who cut in line at communion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are they for whom death is not an abstraction. Blessed are they who have buried their loved ones, for whom tears could fill an ocean. Blessed are they who have loved enough to know what loss feels like. Blessed are the mothers of the miscarried. Blessed are they who don't have the luxury of taking things for granted anymore. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are the motherless, the alone, the one from whom so much has been taken. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Blessed are those who mourn. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are those who no one else notices. The kids who sit alone at middle school lunch tables, the laundry guys at the hospital, the sex workers and the night shift street sweepers. Blessed are the losers and the babies and the parts of ourselves that are so small, the parts of ourselves that don't want to make eye contact with a world that loves only the winners. Blessed are the forgotten, blessed are the closeted, blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive and the underrepresented. Blessed are the teens who have to figure out ways to hide the new cuts on their arms. Blessed are the meek. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. <coughs> Blessed are the wrongly accused, the ones who never catch a break, the ones for whom life is hard, for Jesus chose to surround himself with people like them. Blessed are the ones without documentation. Blessed are the ones without lobbyists. Blessed are the foster kids, the trophy kids and the special ed kids and every other kid who wants to feel safe and loved. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are they who know there has to be more than this because they are right. Blessed are those who make terrible business decisions for the sake of people. Blessed are the burnt out social workers and the overworked teachers and the pro bono case takers. Blessed are the kind-hearted professional football players and their fundraising trophy wives. Blessed are the kids who step between the bullies and the weak. Blessed are they who hear that they are forgiven. Blessed is everyone who has ever forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Blessed are the most merciful, for they totally get it. And blessed are you this morning as you work this one out. God bless you.